Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 5, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 1, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, <clears throat> the younger as sisters with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them first uh, learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he yet denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. The apostle here in chapter 5 is going to direct Timothy on how he as a minister but also the church together is to uh, direct ourselves toward every class of individual in the church. How we're to conduct ourselves with elderly men, uh, with elderly sisters, with uh, younger men and also younger sisters. Then he's also going to address uh, how we're to take care of widows. And also later in the chapter, which we have not read, we'll look to next week, he mentions elders in a different way. Uh, when he mentions elders at the beginning of the chapter, elder men, he's talking about literally older men. But later in the chapter, when he talks about elders, he's going to talk about what we'll call teaching elders or ministers of the gospel. And so that word elder can be used to describe somebody's position in the church as far as his function in preaching the gospel but can also be used to describe a person who is an older person in years. So first of all, the Apostle Timothy tells us we're not to rebuke an elder. Remember, Timothy is a young man, and so he lets him know that, and the word rebuke here means to uh, criticize harshly. He does not mean that older men never need to be rebuked, but there ought to always be great care in how a younger man would rebuke an older man. In fact, we find in the book of Leviticus, uh, God says in uh, chapter 19, verse 32, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of an old man, and fear thy God. And he says, I am the Lord. So I believe God takes that uh, very seriously. Because again, when you read there in Leviticus 19, you and I were to rise up before the hoary head. That means we're to show honor to older men, to older sisters. He says, also, we're to honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. You're not fearing God if you're not showing honor to elderly people. And then he says, I am the Lord. That word Lord there is all capital letters, meaning I am Jehovah. So it's Jehovah given the command that we're to rise up before the hoary head and we're to honor the face of an old man. 
Now, again, that doesn't mean that old people are always right. Uh, the hoary head does not always indicate wisdom and righteousness. In fact, Solomon would tell us that the hoary head is a crown if it be found in the way of righteousness. You know, a white-headed person, if they're a righteous individual, that white head of hair is a crown to them. He says, again, if it's found in the way of righteousness. So there are times that an older person may need to be rebuked. But again, Paul tells Timothy, especially as a younger minister, take care in how you rebuke somebody who is older. So again, he says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the younger men as brethren. So even when rebuke is necessary for, say, equals in age, there's still to be a kindly, affectionate rebuke. The goal should always be that the rebuke would bring that one back to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us we're to speak the truth, but in love. And obviously we can speak the truth and have a very hateful tone and obviously lose our audience. Uh, or we can speak the truth in love and hopefully what we're having to say will uh, resonate with the one that we're speaking to. So again, rebuke not an elder, but treat him, entreat him excuse me, as a father, and the younger men as brethren. He says, the elder women as mothers, the younger, sisters, the younger as sisters, and then he says, with all purity. And there's a reason he includes this when he talks about younger women. He says, you're to treat them as sisters with all purity. Uh, many ministers have gotten themselves in a lot of trouble because of not being very careful and how they treat sisters in the church. And so here the apostle tells Timothy, when you're dealing with younger uh, women in the church, you're to treat them as though they were your natural sister, and it's to be with all purity. There's never to be any way that anyone could accuse the man of God of uh, treating a younger sister in any ungodly, untoward way. So again, he says, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. And then he begins to address widows, which we'll try to spend the rest of our time with this morning. He says, honor widows that are widows indeed. The word honor here literally means that we're to financially take care of widows. And now, later on, when he talks about teaching elders, they're to be, uh, uh, they that labor in the word, the Bible lets us know that they're worthy of double honor. So if we're going to honor widows, and there's double honored elders, obviously there's a difference in how the two are taken care of. But here the word honor literally means to take financial care of widows, but he says widows indeed. So there are certain classifications of widows in the house of God. Now this is not being respecter of persons. This is just recognizing that the church does not have endless resources. And not every widow can be taken care of. Uh, the church just doesn't have the uh, resources to do so. And so the Apostle Paul, understanding that, uh, list out the qualifications of how it is that a widow can come under the care of the church. So he says, honor widows, that means financially provide for widows that are widows indeed. He says, but if any widow have children or nephews, and that word nephew in the Greek, it literally means uh, grandchildren. So if she have children or grandchildren, he says, let them first learn to show piety at home. And to requite, that word requite means to repay their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. So before a widow comes under the church's financial care, here's one thing we look at first. Does she have children or grandchildren? If she has children or grandchildren, the church ought to admonish them to first learn to show piety, godliness at home. 
Uh, obviously, if they're not going to take care of their own mother or grandmother, that's not showing a godly outlook. Uh, that's not godly behavior. In fact, later he'll say that if a man provide not for his own, especially they of his own house, he's uh, denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. So here the apostle lets us know once again that any man, a widow have children or nephews, grandchildren, let them, the children or grandchildren, learn first to show piety at home. Notice again it says at home. It doesn't say the nursing home. It doesn't say the assisted living center. It doesn't say casting them off in some place and forgetting all about them. In fact, the Lord Jesus addressed that uh, when he was talking to Pharisees who did not want to honor their father and mother. In fact, they would say it's a gift. In other words, they would put them under the care of somebody else and, and pay off somebody else to take care of them so they would not be bothered with their own parents. And that's the very culture we live in today. Very few people are willing to requite their parents at home. Uh, but that's what the Bible teaches us. Now, I recognize there are circumstances that arise in our lives that sometimes we're simply unable uh, to do this. But as long as we have the ability to do it, it's the way that God has prescribed. And I tell you what, there are blessings untold in taking care of a parent, a grandparent, or in our case, a great-grandparent in the home. Uh, some of the richest times uh, that I've experienced in my life was those years that Lydia and I took care of my great-grandmother. I wouldn't trade those years for anything. And the Bible lets us know that the individual that honors his father and mother, his days should be long upon the earth. I would hear people say sometimes, you know, you're kind of wasting your life away taking care of your grandmother. I think to myself, no, according to the word of God, he's probably going to add years to the end of my life for doing this. Uh, and so, and, and if he doesn't, that's fine. Uh, but uh, the, that's the promise. The Bible says that's the first commandment with promise is honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. Uh, some in our family uh, missed out on great uh, experiences that we had with my grandmother because we were with her so much. Uh, Lydia thankfully took a number of videos that every once in a while I go back and watch just simply to hear her voice and to see her face again. And I treasure those as well. Many wonderful memories of taking care of her in our home. I don't regret not a moment of that time uh, that we did so. So he said, again, if any widow have children or nephews, let them first learn to show piety, godliness at home, and to requite them. That means repay them. I've heard people say, well, you know, <laughs> I can't bathe them, I can't change them. I can't. Well, they did that for you. Uh, there was a time you came to this world, you couldn't even turn yourself over. It, you had to have help to do anything and everything. You had to be fed, you had to be bathed, you had to be changed, uh, you had to be cleaned. All those things uh, somebody did for you. And if you live long enough in this world, uh, not only are you going to be taken care of when you come into this world, you're probably going to get to the point that at the end of your life, somebody's going to have to take care of you again. You've had a caregiver at least once in your life when you were an infant, and if you live long enough, you're probably going to have a caregiver at the end of your life. And I tell you this, the Bible says the Lord shows himself merciful to the merciful. And so if you want the mercy of God when you become an older individual, you better show a lot of mercy to older individuals along the way. Uh, and you may uh, hopefully have somebody that cares about you uh, the way that hopefully you've cared for others. Uh, but sometimes when I stop and think about how I've cared for others, that kind of makes me a little bit fearful. Now, I've teased some, you know, when I, this one that's on the way for us, when uh, this one turns 18, I'll be 60 years old. 
When we found out she was a girl, some folks asked if I was disappointed we weren't having another boy. I said, no, because I intend to brainwash this one. From the very moment she comes to the world, I'm going to brainwash her to stay single, stay home, and take care of me when I get old and just live there, and I'll give her the house. Uh, uh, so anyway, that's my plan, and that's, uh, that's my, uh, uh, that, that's my uh, uh, social security, uh, security net, if you will. That is my nursing care when I get old, hopefully. But I hope to God that I will have treated my children in such a way uh, and, I, and I know Lydia already does, that they would rise up and call us blessed and honor us and would take care of us in our old age. I hope that'll happen. I hope I don't get shoved off in the corner of some home, neglected and forgotten. I uh, hear a while back when Brother Charles was in the uh, uh, Solaris there in Plant City and I'm walking through the halls of that nursing home going back to the rehab department. It just breaks my heart to see people in there that clearly have been placed there and completely forgotten about. And it's a shameful thing the way that we treat our elderly. That's not always been the case. There was a time in our society that multi-generations lived in the same home. It wasn't uncommon uh, for parents to have their children there, but also to have their parents there. And you had the help of your children and your grandchildren to take care of you as you aged in life. That's just the way things were. Before Social Security uh, came about, how did uh, elderly people get taken care of? They lived with their children and their grandchildren, and their grandchildren and children worked and labored and took care of them as well, not only physically, but financially. And I tell you, it works, uh, and it's how we ought to do things. It brings great honor uh, to the Lord and also to those who have taken care of us. So he says, we're to requite them, we're to repay them. So everything that I did in behalf of my great-grandmother is only repayment for things she had done for me. Uh, it was uh, a small thing in, uh, uh, when you consider it all. And so when you help your parent or your grandparent, you're just simply repaying them for the very things they did for you. And I tell you, there were some things that I had to do for her that I never thought I would do, but when the time comes and needed to be done, you just do what you have to do. And same thing, I remember uh, the first time I really had to take care of an elderly person and it got very personal was Elder Compton. And I didn't know I could do some of the things that I had to do and help and take care of him one time for a week after a surgery. But the Lord gave me the strength to do that and I just pushed on through and did it and had to do the same. With my, believe me, if you will commit that whatever comes, if God will bless me, I am going to repay my parents and grandparents home. He will give you what you need when you need it. There were things I never thought I could do, but when the moment came, I was able to do it because it just simply needed to be done. Anyway, so he says, if any women or widow have children or nephews, let them first learn to show piety at home and to requite their parents for that is good and acceptable before God. So if you want to do what's good and acceptable before God, you'll take care of your parents and grandparents at home. Now again, I understand there are circumstances that arise sometimes you simply are not capable to do so. But I remember Brother Bloyd talking years ago about an elderly uh, sister and her daughter. And the, <laughs> the mother was over 100, and the daughter was getting close to 90, and the daughter was in a wheelchair, and the mother was bedfast, but that daughter in the wheelchair was still taking care of her mother. Now, how she did all that, I don't know. And I, they had other assistants, but think about that. Here she is in a wheelchair herself, pushing 90, helping her mother who's over 100. Don't tell me it can't be done. It can be done if we'll make it our priority and our goal and our desire. And again, it's good and it's acceptable before God. He says, now that she that is a widow indeed, 
is one who is desolate. That means she doesn't have children. She doesn't have grandchildren. She's alone in the world. And there's certainly widows like that. So he says there are widows that will be desolate. He says, but they trust in God. They continue within supplications and prayers night and day. You know, that reminds me of Anna there in the book of Luke. There when the Lord Jesus Christ is brought to the temple. And first they meet Simeon there. And Simeon blesses God as he holds the Redeemer in his arms. And then as they go on, they meet Anna, who was a widow and had been a widow for many years. And you know what she did? She stayed at the temple, and there she offered her prayers to God day and night. God answered her prayers, and here's how God answered her prayers. She was able to see the Messiah and bless him. Think about what a wonderful blessing that woman had before she left this world. Being a widow woman, spending her entire widowhood there in the house of God offering prayers to God. And here's how God answered her prayer. She laid eyes on her Redeemer. Now Simeon held the Redeemer in his arms. God told him he would not see death till he saw the Lord's Messiah. And he saw the Lord's Messiah. And you know what he said? Let thy servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have beheld thy salvation. He says, I'm satisfied. I can leave this world now. I suspect Anna felt much the same way. This widow woman who spent her time in supplication and prayers night and day at the house of God was blessed to see the Son of God before she left this world. He says, here is a widow who is a widow indeed. Again, she's desolate. She doesn't have family. But she also trusts in God. She continueth in supplication and prayer night and day. When I think about that phrase, trusteth in God, think about that widow in Luke chapter 21. In Luke chapter 21, we find the Lord Jesus Christ is at the temple, and the Lord is kind of standing over to the side. And he's watching his people are casting money into the treasury, recall? And there are people that were casting in great sums of money. Now, great sums meaning the amount, not necessarily the percentage of their overall wealth. The Lord is watching this scene unfold, and he's watching these people throw their money in the treasury. And all of a sudden, here comes a widow. Now, remember in the chapter right before that, Luke chapter 21, excuse me, Luke chapter 20, the Lord uh, criticized those Pharisees for devouring widows' houses. They would come and devour what widows did have instead of taking care of them. And then here comes a widow woman in the very next chapter. I mean, it, really, there's probably shouldn't be a chapter break there because it goes right into that story. So right after the Lord rebukes these Pharisees for devouring widow's houses, here comes a widow, and she cast in two mites, which the Bible says was all her living, all she had. All I know is she probably had just had her house devoured by one of those Pharisees. But if she did, notice what she does. She gives everything she still has, all her living, to the house of God. Why? Because she trusts in God. She didn't trust in those Pharisees to take care of her, but she trusted in God to take care of her. And she kept, Now, she didn't have a Social Security check coming the next month. It wasn't like she was casting in her two mites thinking, well, I have two more mites coming next week. It wasn't that way. You know, when I give to the house of God every week, I suspect there's still a paycheck coming next week so that I can do that again. This wasn't the case for her. When it says she cast in all her living, it means it's everything that she owned. There was nothing left beyond that. Imagine uh, what that took to give that to the house of God, to the very place where these Pharisees were, that they had abused her most likely, and now she still shows her trust in God and is going to cast in her money. You know, some folks won't go to the house of God because they've been mistreated there, and maybe they have been mistreated there, or sometimes they've been offended and it's just... Uh, 
was accidental, whatever, but they won't go to the house of God because there's hypocrites at the house of God. And sure enough, there is. I'm one. We're all uh, hypocrites. That's just the way it is. We don't always do what we say. Uh, but there are some folks that will not serve God because of experiences they've had with God's children. In the case of this widow, her experience she had with these people did not impact her relationship with God himself. And I don't care how bad I'm treated in the house of God, and I hope I never am, but if I am, I still ought to say, well, that's how people have treated me, but God has been very merciful and very gracious to me, and I'm here not for other people, but I'm here to serve him, so no matter how it is that things have come my way by people, God still deserves and I still owe him my worship. So this woman trusted God, cast it in her too much. The Bible says it was all her living. And Jesus tells the disciples who are watching also that she gave more than they all. And percentage-wise, she had. She had given 100%. Some of them may have given 5, maybe 10, maybe 20, whatever it was. But she gave 100% of what she had. Why? Because she trusted in God. Widows throughout the Bible, God has been very kind to take care of. If you look at Psalm 146, we find where David writes and says specifically about widows in the ninth verse. Excuse me, I'll get to it in just a moment. He says, the Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. Notice again, he says, the Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth, that means he gives help, he gives relief in the need of both the fatherless and the widow. The fatherless and the widow in the Bible uh, get a lot of attention. What is it that James says in James chapter 1? He says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, that we will visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So pure religion is looking to the needs of the fatherless, the orphans, and also the widows, but also living a pious, godly life. That is what true religion is. Because right before that, he talks about vain religion, which is all just talk. He says real religion is doing. Real religion is looking out for the needs of those who cannot help themselves. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we find that God made special provision for the widows in the days of Moses. So when the law was given by Moses, or by God to Moses, there was special commandment given regarding harvest time. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, he says, When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheath in the field, he says, Thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. So here's a farmer out gathering his crop, and along the way he drops a little bit, and the Lord says, Don't go back for that. In fact, he'll also make provision. He says, you're also not to cut the corners of the field. Those were to be left for the fatherless, the stranger, and the widow. He says, and when you drop some along the way, you just leave that be. You trust God to provide what you need. Now, here comes the fatherless, the stranger. That means somebody who was not an Israelite who was coming through the land of Canaan. He says, you're going to help the fatherless, the stranger, and the widow. So don't go back and be greedy and make sure you pick up every grain along the way. So years later, when a woman by the name of Naomi comes back to the land of Bethlehem, remember what happens. She sends Ruth, her daughter-in-law, into a certain field who happened to be the field of Boaz, who will be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi, who will be a great blessing in her life. If you recall the story in the book of Ruth about Naomi, there came a day 
uh, when there was great desolation in the land of Israel. And so Naomi and her husband and her two sons, they leave the land of Israel, Bethlehem, Judah, which means the house of bread. And where do they go? They go to Moab. Uh, why? They heard there's plenty over in Moab. So they go to Moab and leave the land of promise, the land of rest. Almost every time you find a child of God, uh, an Israelite, who willfully leaves the land of Israel for help somewhere else, you're going to find them in grave trouble. When Abraham comes to the land of Canaan, there in Genesis chapter 12, and he raises up that altar in Bethel, and God lets him know that as far as he could see, that's the land that he would give his seed. What does Abraham do? Well, he raises an altar, but then he goes down into Egypt. And Egypt, he gets himself in trouble. And when he comes up out of Egypt, he brings something out of Egypt that's going to cause him a curse for the rest of his life. Her name is Hagar. Uh, he picks her up down in Egypt. That's where she belonged. That's where she should have stayed. But he should have never gone down there to start with. And in fact, as you read the life of Abraham, he was a man of altars. But in Genesis 13, while he's in the land of Egypt, he never raises the first altar to God. He's in the land of bondage, the land of darkness, the land that is a picture of sin and death. And that's where he is, and not one altar is raised up there. Well, anyway, he comes back out of that place, and when he comes back out of that place, he immediately raises an altar to God. Well, anyway, here's Hagar uh, that's brought back, and if you remember the story, Sarah convinces him to have a child with Hagar named Ishmael that would be a problem uh, in the life of Abraham, especially Isaac, and according to the word of God, he would be a problem till the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most... Uh, Major problems we deal with in the world today that prevents peace in this world is a relationship that Abraham had with Hagar that all uh, started when he went down to Egypt. 9-11 uh, happened in 2001 because of that relationship between uh, Hagar and Abraham. Uh, we find that Ishmael, who is the father of Islam, uh, he, the Bible says that his hand would be against every man and every man's hand against him. In other words, there would be perpetual conflict between his descendants and the descendants of Isaac. That's just been the reality. That's what God said would happen, and we've seen it with, uh, throughout human history. Anyway, every time a child of God willfully left the land of Israel, they find themselves quickly in trouble. In the book of Isaiah, God says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for their help. Well, anyway, here in, uh, in the book of Ruth, they go to Moab. They leave God's land for the land of this world. And as she's over there, you remember the story. She loses her husband and both her sons. So she's getting ready to journey back. She hears that God has blessed the land of Israel once again. So she's going to come back home. And her daughter-in-law, Orpah, she's going to go, and so is Ruth. And as she begins to rehearse to them what the future will hold, Orpah says, nope, I don't think I'll go. I'll stay here. But if you remember, what does Ruth say? Entreat me not to leave thee. Uh, she begs Naomi, don't ask me to leave you. She says, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to lodge where you lodge. I want to die where you die. Where you're buried, that's where I'll be buried. Your God will be my God. And so we're going to find that a very unusual relationship is going to be the greatest uh, mercy and blessing to Naomi. She comes back to Moab, uh, excuse me, to Bethlehem. And when she gets back there, of course, she uh, comes into town. Some see her and recognize her. And they say, this is Naomi. She says, you don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She says, you call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, for the Lord had dealt bitterly with me. She says, I went out full, but I've come home empty. Now think about that. 
the land of Israel was desolate. The land of Israel was going through a drought. They had no bread. And she says, but I went out full. And here I went out to a place thinking we would have plenty. And here it was. I left the place that was drought-ridden with fullness. And I come back uh, to a place that was supposed to be a place of blessing. But what did it do? It drained me of everything that I had. And I promise you, when you leave the house of bread, the house of God, the house of truth, the house of mercy, you may think this world will fill you up. It will fill you, but not in a way that uh, will be a blessing to your soul. There's going to come a point that you recognize you're desolate of the things of God when you have willfully left the land of rest. Anyway, Naomi is blessed by God. This widow woman, she's taken care of. Ruth goes out, and as it says was her hap, uh, uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't happenstance. Uh, it was by the providence of God. But from their perspective, it was coincidental that she ends up in Boaz's field. He was a near kinsman, but he wasn't the nearest kinsman. There was one nearer, but he would not redeem them. And, uh, of course, the story goes, Naomi uh, encourages Ruth. Ruth marries Boaz and will end up being in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find other widows in the word of God that trusted in God. Think about there in uh, the days of Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, when uh, there's a widow woman about to fix her last meal and the last meal for her son. And what does Elisha tell her? He says, you make, just do like you said, you take those sticks, you take that meal, you take that oil, and you make those cakes, he says, but you make me a little cake first. Talk about somebody who's going to have to trust in God. She's making one last meal, then they're going to die. He says, you make for me first. This was going to test her faith in God, her trust in God. Well, she trusted in God. She fed the man of God. As you know the story, every time she went, there was oil in a cruise and there was meal in a barrel for all that time of the drought in the land of Israel. Later in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a widow woman there with two sons. And in that chapter, we find that she has creditors, or her husband rather had creditors, and they were coming. She had nothing to pay. The only thing she could give those uh, creditors to pay the debt were her two sons, and her two sons were, be, uh, were to become bondmen. She cries out to the man of God, Elisha. And so Elisha comes and finds out that all she had there was one barrel. And so he tells her to go and gather from all her friends and neighbors. And if you'll recall, she goes and gets all that she can. I'd have got more, but she got all that she could. And she took that one cruise of oil and began to fill that. And it just kept filling and filling and filling and filling until she sold all that oil, paid off all the debts, and she and her sons were spared. Talk about the miracle working power of God to take care of widows in this world. And he didn't only do it in the Old Testament. He also did it in the New Testament. Think in Luke chapter 7, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming into the city of Nain. And he's coming into that city. There's a widow woman about to bury her only son. And in that day and time, if you didn't have a son, uh, after you become a widow to take care of you, you couldn't own property. Now, that's why they would devour widows' houses. And so this woman was about to be destitute and desolate. So what does Jesus do? He stops the funeral procession. He touches the bier, the coffin, and he tells that young man to arise. And that young man was raised to life again. And there that widow woman was provided for. How? Through the life of her son that she was about to put into the ground. But the Lord Jesus Christ stepped in and blessed her in the miraculous way of giving her son back to her so that her son could work and provide for her. We find also uh, in Acts chapter 9, 
a widow woman by the name of Dorcas, also called Tabitha, who had been very kind and helpful uh, to give uh, and provide to the poor. And she dies, so the Apostle Peter comes on the scene there in the city of Joppa, and she's raised to life again. Here the Lord uh, blessed her with life again because of the great kindness she had shown people throughout her life. I think about a younger widow in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25, by the name of Abigail, who had a husband whose name was Nabal, which means fool. And we're going to find there comes a time in the life of David that David uh, needs help, needs assistance, needs food for him and his servants, his soldiers. And so he sends a few over to Nabal to ask and, uh, to, uh, for provision. And Nabal sends back a very unkind message to David. David gets very hot about that. And David, this is one of the times he was about to make a great mistake in his life. David was about to go and slay everyone in the household of Nabal. Abigail, who means uh, my father's delight, uh, she comes out to David and she says, let his sin be upon me. She bows before his feet, she kisses his feet and begs him for mercy. We're going to find that God shows uh, her mercy uh, through uh, allaying the anger of David. So David does not act. In fact, Abigail lets him know that the, the thing he's about to do is going to bring great uh, judgment in his life from God. Thankfully, we find that David listens to her. She goes back home and she tells Nabal everything that's happened. The Bible says that his heart came as it were a stone and 10 days later the Lord smote him and he died. Word comes to David that uh, Nabal has died. So he sends for Abigail. She is fetched and comes and she becomes the wife of King David. Uh, here God provided for that young widow by bringing her into the life of David and David uh, took care of her for the rest of her days. Anyway, it says then, uh, back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, A widow indeed is one who is desolate, having no family. She trusts in God. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. He's contrasting a godly widow versus one who is ungodly. He says, There are some who do not trust in God. There are those who do not continue in supplications and prayers. He says this person is really living in earthly, ungodly pleasure. He says she's dead while she liveth. Then he says these things give in charge that they may be blameless. In other words, teach the church and teach the widows how they're to behave. He says in verse 8, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Paul would tell the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. Our society is so backwards that we actually promote people not to work. Uh, think about even during uh, COVID and all that, how many people were encouraged not to work? Uh, how many billions of dollars were sent out from the federal government encourage people not I know individuals that literally quit their jobs and earn more from the government than they were working uh, no wonder things are so upside down in our culture and our nation today and we're 31 trillion dollars in debt as a nation when we're paying people not to work it's kind of like for the last 40 or 50 years paying farmers not to farm, uh, paying uh, farmers subsidies not to raise certain crops. Never has made uh, sense to me. Uh, that's not the biblical pattern. That's not the biblical way. And no wonder uh, this nation is upside down. So here the apostle says, if any provide not for his own, 
And especially for those of his own house, he had denied the faith. And he's worse than an infidel. An unbeliever, he says, this person's worse than an unbeliever. Why? Because he knows better. And he will not do what God has commanded him to do. So he says he's worse than an infidel. At least an unbeliever can claim ignorance, he says, but a believer cannot claim ignorance. He says, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years of age. That means the first requirement after being desolate and trusting in God and continuing in prayer, she's got to be 60 years old. He says, first of all, if she's going to be taken into the number, that means the number of those the church supports. He says, first of all, let her be 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. How many times has the Apostle Paul mentioned marriage fidelity when it comes to qualifications in the book of Timothy? To be an elder, he's to be the husband of one wife. To serve as a deacon, what? Husband of one wife. When we come here to a widow who's a widow indeed, she's to be the wife of one husband. The Apostle Paul, as the Lord does, took uh, marriage vows very seriously. Fidelity in marriage is a very, very serious thing before God. God intended, as the Bible says, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ's own words to the uh, Pharisees, that from the very beginning, this is how God intended it. Male and female, he made them. And of course, they're to be bonded together until death. The only thing that ought to ever separate a man and wife is death. Now, I recognize that the Lord has uh, put an exception in there if a man or wife is unfaithful and commits adultery. I recognize that. But they (laughs) never should commit adultery to start with. And so hopefully when a man marries a woman, the goal should always be that I am committed to this woman and this woman is committed to this man until they breathe out their last breath. And what a blessing it is to behold to see a godly couple who have spent many years together and are so united together and so bonded together that that when death does come, we grieve almost uh, uh, more for the one that's left than we do uh, for the one that we've seen departed because we know how much impact it's going to have upon their life that after many decades of being committed together in the cause of Christ and love for one another, how difficult their journey is going to be as they go forward uh, not living no longer with the one that they have loved for so many years. Anyway, so here the apostle says, first of all, they've got to be uh, 60 years old, the husband of one wife, uh, the wife of one husband, excuse me, well reported of for good works. He says also if she had brought up children, say, well, what if she couldn't have children? Then that means she also was mindful to help in the bringing up of other children. Uh, She helped in the church to nurture uh, the children in the church. He goes on to say not only uh, did she bring up children, he says, also, if she have lodged strangers, she's opened her home and showed herself hospitable. He says, if she have washed the saints' feet. You know, if the church doesn't practice feet washing, I don't know how a widow woman can fulfill this requirement. Uh, so I know there's many churches in this world that do not wash feet, that look at it as only symbolic. According to the Apostle Paul, for a widow to be a widow indeed, she had to have washed the saints' feet. And so the only way I know to do that is for the church to practice foot washing so that uh, the widow can wash feet as well, and now she can come under the number if the time comes that it's necessary. He goes on to say, not only that, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she has uh, tried to comfort and encourage and strengthen and undergird those who are afflicted in this world, if she had diligently followed every good work. So Paul says, just in case I miss something, uh, that she's followed diligently every good work. He says, but the younger widows refuse. In other words, the church is not to take them into the number. If they're under 60 years of age, they're to be refused. He says, and this is why, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. 
This text seems a little hard to understand, but what it's basically saying is this. If the church financially cares for a widow under the age of 60 who is able-bodied and could take care of herself, uh, all of a sudden, uh, her attention and focus is going to turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the very first thing that he says about a widow indeed? She's desolate and trusteth in God. Well, here's a woman that could work, could keep herself busy, but instead, uh, here she's relieved by the church, and now because she's got nothing to do, what's going to happen? Her natural desire is to marry again, and she may be very careless in who she marries, and all of a sudden find herself in a very godless relationship. And so the apostle says, this is what could happen. Two things. One, she'll remarry into a godless relationship, he says, or she may go from house to house and not only be idle, but be a tattler and a busybody and speak things that ought not to be spoken. So Paul says, if you bring a widow who's under the age of 60 into the number, and all of a sudden they're not occupied being busy at work and diligently supporting themselves, there's two dangers. I've heard some say, well, the old Baptists are too worried about slippery slopes, and we have too many rules and regulations about what might could happen if we allow certain things. The Apostle Paul believed in it. The Apostle Paul says, here is a slippery slope. Here's something that could happen if you bring a widow into the number who's under the age of 60. One, she'll either marry into a godless relationship, which will take her away from her first faith, or two, uh, in her idleness, she's going to go from house to house, and she's going to be a busybody and a gossiper, and that's going to bring trouble into the house of God. So Paul says, let them work. He says, or let them remarry. Uh, he goes on to say, he says, the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith. Again, he says, they may marry into a godless relationship. He says, also, they'll learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. He says, I will, therefore. He says, here's the solution. He says, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry. Now, obviously, into a godly relationship. He says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. And then Paul sums it all up in the way that he started. He says in verse 16, if any man or woman that believeth, he says, any believer, if they have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So Paul just circles right back to where he began. He says there are widows that have children and grandchildren that ought to be uh, requited at home. The piety, or the godliness of the children and grandchildren ought to be shown at home. He says, but if there is one who's desolate, she trusts in God. Uh, she continues in supplications and prayers both day and night. She's over the age of 60. She's been married to one man. Uh, she's lodged strangers. She's uh, uh, comforted the afflicted. Uh, she's watched the saint's speech. She followed after every good work. Then she ought to come under the care of the church. Outside of that, younger widows, he said, forbid. Otherwise, in their idleness, they're either going to remarry an ungodly man, or he said they're going to go about being idle and cause gossip in the house of God, which is going to bring friction and bring problems into the house of God and destroy the peace and unity of the house of God. He said, let them remarry in a godly way. He says, however, if any man or woman... Notice again, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. Think about Ruth. Here she had a mother-in-law, and yet she was so devoted to her mother-in-law that when she marries Boaz, what happens to Naomi? 
Naomi is taken care of by Boaz and Ruth in that situation. God provided for Naomi through her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who remarries because she's a younger widow herself. She remarries a very godly man, Boaz. And Boaz not only cares for Ruth, but also cares for his mother-in-law. And there she's provided for, as far as we can tell, up until her dying breath. So again, he says in verse 16, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. Let them, in other words, take care of them. And he says that the church be not charged. Why? so that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. A few weeks ago, we looked at the office of deacon. One of the main reasons that office ever came into existence is because there in Acts chapter 6, there was a murmuring of the Grecians because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Taking care of widows has been very important throughout the history of the New Testament church. The Israelites were given commandments that they were to take care of the widows, the Pharisees had written new laws so that they could circumvent that and get around it and not do it. But the Lord Jesus still was insistent that widows be cared for. Again, this was before safety nets, Social Security, life insurance, uh, uh, husbands leaving pensions, things like that. And so generally, a widow had to depend on her children and grandchildren if they would or if she had them. And if not, then she just had to depend on the kindness of strangers well, then when the New Testament church is formed by the Lord Jesus Christ when he came into the world, a believing widow who was a widow indeed now had a body of believers. Just like the Lord said, he would take the fatherless and the widows that were solitary and put them into families. He says that in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Well, in the house of God, that's exactly what happens. If you had a widow in the house of God who doesn't have children, who doesn't have grandchildren, you know what she does have? She has the whole family of God in the house of God to provide for her in her old age and make sure that she has all that she stands in need of. The Lord has in this congregation several widows. Thankfully, for the most part, they have children and grandchildren who take care of them, and we don't have to uh, bring them into the number. But if the day comes that we need to, would to God that all of us would dig deeper and our own pocketbooks to provide and relieve, to take care of uh, those sisters in our congregation that would ever need that supply. But again, the apostle has put very strict rules on these things for a reason. He understood that the uh, resources of a church are not endless. And so they need to be used very wisely and very carefully. And we should not spend uh, just uh, very liberally in the sense of casting it out wherever, whenever. The uh, finances of the church have very specific uses, and we're to use them very wisely. These are finances that God's people, out of their kindness, have given to the house of God and entrusted those in the leadership of the house of God to use those funds in a very wise and godly way. That's money that God has encouraged their hearts to give, and God has then told us who have the responsibility of taking care of those funds to use them very carefully. And so when we are going to expend out of the church's treasury, we need to make sure every time that we're following what the word of God teaches us. And so here in the case of widows, it doesn't say that they never can be cared for by the church, but before they are. First of all, she needs to not have children or grandchildren. If she does, then the church ought to go talk to them, find out what they can do, what they can't do. And if they can do it, admonish them to do it. If they won't do it and they're believers, then they ought to be put out of the church of God. And then uh, the church take care of that widow. If she's a widow indeed who truly is desolate, then it's very clear what we can do. Again, if the church will follow this, we hopefully then would have the resources to take care of every need that arises in the house of God. We know that God always provides, that God takes care of his, uh, his own. 
that God will uh, bless us and uh, when our needs arise. The day comes that there's a widow or more than one that would need the church's full care. Hopefully the Lord will provide the finances so that we can do that. But to do that, then we need to be very careful in how we maintain the funds of the house of God so that when those needs arise, the funds are there to do it. And also then the church body sees that those among the deaconship who are taking care of those funds are handling it responsibly and they have great charity to give when the need arises. So here the apostle makes very clear how it is that we're to treat elder brothers. If they need to be rebuked, it's not to be harshly, but carefully. Older sisters as mothers, uh, younger brother, uh, men as brothers, and younger, sisters, uh, si- uh, younger women as sisters, he says, with all purity. And then he lets us know exactly how widows are to be provided for. First of all, in the home. And if they have no one, then by the church itself. But if there's any man or woman that believeth, let them take care of their widows at home so that the church won't be charged, so that the church can take care of widows indeed. May God bless you today.